As you are undoubtedly aware, on August the 4th, 2020, a massive explosion rocked the city of Beirut, with hundreds dead, 6,000 injuries, and upwards of $10 billion of property estimated to be damaged. Our hearts are with those affected by this tragedy. And if you're able to contribute, our guests who have strong ties to Beirut and to Lebanon in general will be sharing ways in which you can do that over the next couple of episodes. We will also include all the information in our show notes. Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs, tastemakers from the worlds of arts, culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm Hashem Montasser, founder of The Lighthouse. We're very excited to share with you the news that we reopened our space in Dubai Design District a couple of weeks ago. And if you've had a chance to make it down already, we hope you've enjoyed the experience. I'm joined on the podcast today by Zina Dana, founder and CEO of Z7 Communications, which she founded in 2007. Over the last 13 years, Z7 has become one of the leading luxury PR agencies in the region, with various notable clients to their credit. Come September 2020, they'll be moving into brand new offices in D3. So I finally caught up with Zina about how she got started, some of the lessons that she's learned along the way, and reflections on her entrepreneurial journey so far. I'm going to just start right off and just saying, uh, obviously, what has happened in Lebanon has impacted all of us. Uh, maybe in your case more, you have family in, in Lebanon. True, I have family, I have friends there, and it was a huge shock. I think it's a traumatizing um, experience for everyone who was there, even more than us being here. We're here living in Dubai and seeing things on TV is very different than actually True. being on the streets. And uh, in a way, yes, it has been a huge um, setback a setback for everything, after everything that the country has been going through. And to get this on top, I think people lost their hope, lost their their fight because they always say the Lebanese are the fighters. They always, you know, can stand up on their feet no matter what happens. And all I, what I keep hearing from my friends is that we don't feel we can keep fighting anymore. What do you think will happen? I mean, obviously very early days, uh, but your own feeling and prediction as someone who has family and friends there, I do have some friends there as well. Obviously, it's they're all in shock right now and obviously moving into an autopilot mode of trying to salvage what they can. But what do you feel, do you think this will, you know, a lot of people talk about this is kind of what broke the camel's back, so to speak. And now even the well-off who had maybe been able to support themselves, obviously the, 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 the less well-off and less fortunate have had the problem for a very long time. Those will now maybe be thinking about leaving the country and then the obviously less well-off might even be sort of similar situations, Syria, trying to migrate to other countries. I mean, do you really think that will happen or somehow it will hold together? I think the immediate effect that I'm seeing from my friends, or people I know, they're getting ready to leave. So especially, and these are people who have businesses there, who have been, who actually came back to the country where they were away, they were living abroad and they built businesses and they just feel like, why did I do this? It's not the right thing. And I think there will be some people who will do that. Obviously, not everyone will be able and capable, especially with these times of COVID-19. There are not so many opportunities. Not everyone will be able to afford living, let's say, in places other than Lebanon for now with the situation without having jobs. So I think it depends. For the fortunate, I think they can always find a way to make it work, especially they have houses a little bit away. But Beirut, we lost Beirut for now. We lost our hub. We lost our 
you know, happy space, even though with everything happening, going on, we've lost that vibe for now. So I think there would be definitely some changes and those who can do anything, they're going to have to amend and, you know, uh, put things together to be able to survive there. But it's going to be really tough for the time being. Any particular charities, maybe for our listeners that we can add to the show notes that you can recommend? Sure. Um, I personally checked around a lot and I've uh, been recommended Impact Lebanon. Okay. So um, I've definitely recommended this to my friends. And they have a list of NGOs and they are actually taking the money. It's, I think uh, the money is basically taken from outside of Lebanon and it's help, they basically distribute it to a number of NGOs in Lebanon. So they control, it's not going to the government. And that's the most important part. Yes, of course. Yeah. Of course. Okay, well, uh, very sorry. Let's hope for the best. We're obviously all praying for the people there and, and, and for, you're right, they're absolutely resilient. Very sad situation in the middle of a pandemic. Very difficult. Let's sort of transition. We'll stay with Lebanon for a minute. Did you grow up there? Tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up. What did you do? How did you become so fabulous? All of these things. <laughs> Thank you. You're always amazing. You make me feel the best and the most special. Um, so I, I'm Lebanese. I grew up in Lebanon. I studied there. Even my university was there. Okay. So. Um, what did you study? I studied business okay. and I chose hospitality as my emphasis. Oh, interesting. So okay. I did not actually study um, communication or anything related to your what current, I do right current, now. Yeah. But I studied hospitality, which basically makes you a pers- people's person. And did you know you wanted to be in this field or you just figured hospitality gives you a broad uh, exposure to a lot of different fields? When you were graduating, did you have something specific in mind? I didn't have anything specific, but I knew that I was attracted to that field okay. and I felt it will allow me to have a wide, you know, access to a wide variety of kind of opportunities. And I started my career there and I have to say it's such a foundation when you start with hospitality, you learn so much, you you grow so much in so many departments. I literally started from from a very basic job, ended up being director of sales and marketing in like four years. So I've learned so much there. Um, and then after that, I decided to, to make a move, came to Dubai Early. at the age of 26. Wow. And I don't know how my mom allowed me to do that because at that time it's like, wow, she's quite open-minded. I thought like she wouldn't allow me to. You just said, I'm going to Dubai. And she was like, okay, have it, go ahead. <laughs> it's like, and basically, I, I found an opportunity there. And she's like, you know, go do it. And it's like, wow, thank you. So that support gave me a lot of strength. Obviously, it wasn't easy to, to be alone in Dubai. I didn't have family. I didn't have many friends. And the early days of Dubai. I mean, this was Dubai was just at the cusp of Yeah, this was itself, January right? 2003. Very early. There were a few Lebanese here. Sure. Uh, but I think I was still too young. And my age was not the, you no. know, the common age to, to move at that time. Uh, took me some time to make my connections. Started working in a PR agency at that time. And it was the foundation of my career in um, in PR. And I have to say, I learned super fast. I became the GM of a local PR agency that was really one of the best at that time. A uh, lot of hard work um, and hands-on with everything I did. And um, I stayed there for four years and I decided to take a little break and figure out what I want to do next. Um, that's where I found, at that time it was 2007, where all the brands were literally looking at this market, international, luxury, they're opening stores and more stores and really looking into It was the boom as well. It was exactly. just before the fall, a year, or a year and a half later. Exactly. So that was the time it was booming and I felt there was no agency really catering for that market. So, I mean, you were incredibly young. I mean, you had, by, at that point, a number of years of experience. But you were in a new city still, relatively speaking, a couple of years. And you decided to take a plunge and go on your own. I mean, it's a very gutsy move. 
was it just instinct or did you spend, you know, months studying it? I have to say it was very organic. And I can say that, yes, I had a five-year strategic plan to launch my company. <laughs> and in five years, and I'm going to become this. But it wasn't the plan. Yeah. I actually left the company I was working with because I felt I couldn't give what I was giving to them anymore. And I needed a break. I had some personal situation that I also had to deal with. So I took a break, truly. And I was approached by my first client. Okay. which was back then our Dubai. Okay. Um, handled, I was asked to handle all the VIP, and it was the second edition of our Dubai. Okay, it wasn't wow. called our Dubai. It was called Golf Masbut, Golf Art Golf Fair. Golf yeah. Art Fair. Yeah, 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 Something yeah. like that. Right. So I was asked to actually um, handle the VIP events around the region, and that was the first client I got approached by, and I just had genuine good connections, good relationship, um, people I knew in the market, and that's how it really started. And a friend of mine, who had his agency, had an events agency, and it's like, you know, Zena, you just got your first client. It's, you'd better just open an office and get your license sorted. And that's how it started. So it started by a simple process of getting clients and, um, yeah, and had my license done in four weeks, had great uh, support from TCOM, um, and started from there. Okay, so after having your first client, did you decide to, because now, obviously, there's a focus on luxury, for example. That's one of the areas that you obviously your firm has specialized in. Did you just sort of were you open to any type of clients, or did you try to focus on a particular uh, area or niche? Sure. Um, in general, I'm very attracted and I'm very kind of uh, motivated by art and culture. Okay. So you can see from the first couple of um, projects that I was involved in, we're very much into arts and culture, and Art Dubai was one of them, and it was a retainer for like eight months, okay. uh, continuous work with them. And I also did a couple of very interesting events that were very culture and music uh, festivals, but they were very private events. And then obviously PR is where my heart is. Events was great to start. It's much easier to start with a couple of events here and there, but for PR, you need a structure, you need a team, and that's what I focused on. And um, I got approached by Versace, which was... Uh, at the time, they didn't have any representation here. They had presence in terms of retail, but they had no PR agencies represented them, representing them here. And I got approached. They met with seven agencies, and I was among the shortlisted then selected to work with them. Um, Were you a one-woman show, or did you have a team? Or a very... At that time, it was me and an assistant. Wow, amazing. Slash finance. Okay. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. No, I know exactly how that is. I, I, I know the feeling of, of starting... And Versace, you know, so I'm sure the others had like, you know, multiple people yeah, and departments. Big and agencies. What do you think made them go for you? So that was a question I had for so long because I became close friends with the with person them. I met as well, uh, with Isabel, who, who basically was the, the global director of communications, um, uh -huh. who came to Dubai to meet the agencies. And I kept like this question in my mind, what made you choose me? And at the end, I managed to find, finally get the answer. It's mm. like, Zena. When I met you, you just knew the market. You're an Arabic speaker. Everyone I met did not even speak Arabic. You knew the market. You knew what was going on. You knew you have all your you contacts. Plugged in, yeah. We needed somebody from this part of the world. And you were the, the best representation for that. So That's great. It was, uh, that was her answer. And yeah, we're still great friends. And um, amazing. Yeah, always grateful for her. So essentially, you started with that. And then you obviously grew. So obviously, when you start working with such a mega brand that has a lot of attention and a huge network around the world. And naturally, you start first going to fashion weeks and you meet all the brands, uh, you meet all the PR agencies that are dealing with, with the brand, you meet the brand in, in Milan, you meet, your network starts 
in like uh, expanding, expanding very quickly. Yeah, expanding. And um, they were super happy with the, at that time I started growing the team and I was personally very, very much involved and I literally built this company up myself. Oh, no, that so, I know. <laughs> and did you focus on fashion consciously? You had an in obviously now with fashion, you started building that up. I saw the gap in the market right. and I felt, you know, with that opportunity um, happening there in the market with Versace on board and having the opportunity to meet many more brands, it was a gener- generally um, very organic kind of networking and expansion within that field. So we did end up working probably with most of the Italian brands from Versace to Etro to Todd's um, to Salvatore Ferragamo to all the most amazing brands to Bottega Veneta as well and many others. So um, that's how it started. And uh, with time, obviously, the team was growing. Our presence was strengthened. Um, reputation and positioning in the market as luxury, as a leading luxury PR agency. We attracted a beauty brand and we attracted watches and jewelry and we started growing and diversifying our portfolio into different kind of categories. categories. Yeah. And you do events and I mean, you, you also grew in terms yeah. of activities, right? Exactly. So as you know, PR itself has changed so much. Years back, PR used to be, our clients used to ask us, okay, our KPIs or what we need to deliver is like number of clippings, um, invitations to events, uh, having the press attend and getting coverage. It was very simple. Correct. And over the years, things have started evolving and we now have digital media, digital marketing. We've got social media influencers. We have events and brand experiences. So everything started evolving to a more experiential kind of side of, uh, of things. And brands used to be very kind of, uh, I remember very well, brands used to come to us saying, we want to create awareness. Yeah. We want to position ourselves. We want the market to know our story. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's a little bit different because they've been in this market. 100%. So we are here. They've been here. They know the market better. They know what works. And the clientele has changed. Exactly. That's and right. now it's younger, they, different. Many brands have even had to change their, relook at their DNA. If you notice, 100%. like at, at certain points, every single brand was relooking at their history relaunching themselves to become more relevant to the younger generation. So that's part of the process of every brand throughout years and years, you know, since they start. Um, But in that process of changes, we felt we had to also expand our services and diversify and launch brand experiences kind of division that we basically were catering for luxury brands to host their events, fashion shows, parties, launches, um, as well as have a digital team to cater for social media and content creation and everything else. But what happens is like with having these two divisions within our team, we can now offer a 360-degree approach. So, so it's part of the overall experience or package that you basically service that you offer. Yes. But the brands, I'm just very curious about this because what we're seeing, what I'm seeing from the outside with a lot of these luxury brands also, as you said earlier, rightfully so, the business model is changing. So, for example, many of them obviously came to this part of the world and many other parts of the world through distributors or agents. And today, many of them are going directly to the consumer. Your job has shifted as well because you have to now focus on a different um, kind of target. Am I right? True. So, in our case, uh, we we had direct contact with brands. Mm. So Always. Our okay, contracts were with Milan, Paris, New York. And this was very... Exceptional because we exactly. dealt directly with, with the, the HQs, not of with their local brands. representation. So that's how we started. And uh, by starting like this, also you can imagine that our standards were super high. Like we work as an international agency based in here, based in Dubai, and we were the extension 
of the teams of these brands on the ground. They didn't have any teams on the ground or really that kind of connection. Then with time, what started happening? Yes, uh, partners uh, had to basically, some partners have become more involved with the brands. So basically they've kind of started taking over these kind of decisions or making them more kind of together with the, with the brands. Some brands have decided to like venture on their own by doing a JV and opening their own offices and hiring their own in-house teams as well. In that perspective, we, for example, we used to work much more with many more brands maybe who didn't have representation, but now they do have a representation. So they have their own team. That's where we support them with brand experiences. Uh, we support them with digital services. We support them on project basis. But we also have many brands who have no representation um, and diversification of the portfolios was very crucial for that, for mm. sure. And what kind of KPIs do they ask for now when you look at the realm of digital? I mean, are they saying go work with the local influencers? Do they want to see more clicks and likes? I mean, what is, because it's a very nebulous, evolving, changing world. I mean, how do you keep track of that? So traditional PR is still needed. I mean, okay. we can, we, we've never stopped sure. with traditional clippings, PR. Clippings, events, etc. So clippings definitely is still there. Uh, brands are appreciating online uh, presence or coverage sure. now more. Like before, they didn't choose to really take Care. it into consideration. Now it's like, okay, no, it's like online is as equally strong as print. Um, but definitely there was more uh, a need to connect with a local consumer and to be more relevant to this part of the world. And that's something that I'm super happy to see because everybody's keen to really know and connect with this part of the world in a different way. Like whether it is a collaboration with a local artist or local designer and do something together, capsule collections, they've, they've definitely stepped up the game. And has the consumer, the local consumer on the ground's habits changed? In other words, the person that used to Maybe before Versace, just use an example that used, had to have multiple stores in you know each city and so on and so forth, and be actually you know have a physical space. Obviously, many of them still do. Um, but if I were your target audience, you wanted me to obviously go to those events and whether pop-ups or physical events or the actual stores, purchase and experience. Are are those consumers, the younger generation now, doing that still, or are they doing all of that online, or is it a combination? I'm trying to get to a point. What I'm curious about is. What I'm seeing personally, and I want to hear your view, um, is that you're seeing the pure online brands creating some kind of physical experience because they see that's important, whether it's through pop-ups or a few events, etc. but then I need to show up also on the ground. And vice versa, the, 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 the physical brands that used to be pure physical are saying, I need uh, an online uh, presence that's important. So they're, they're kind of each one coming into each other's and, and maybe the answer is going to have a hybrid strategy. Mm. But I don't know. I'm, I'm asking. No, I think what, what's been happening is what I know from this part of the world is uh, retail, physical retail space is still very, very important. important. Okay. Yes. So what's been happening here, because it's been so relevant and so important, many brands did not make the effort to be present online. Mm. With COVID hitting yeah. in, I think that kind of sped the process Whereby accelerated. accelerated, exactly. So like international brand that you would never think that they would have a regional uh, kind of online portal or e-commerce, they have launched their e-commerce regionally. And these are the brands who actually kind of benefited a lot, uh, much more than other brands because consumer was able to actually access the product online and, and get it 
at a time where they couldn't go to stores. Where other brands who only had a physical presence without an e-commerce, actually they were really, really affected by that. And we have brands that had to stop doing PR for now because they could they were not able to cater for, for clients. However, during COVID, there was a lot of more uh, personal approach whereby, you know, clients were approached by sales um, by the salespeople from the stores and kind of more connecting on a human level when checking on each other. And lots of sales have happened through WhatsApps, through calls, and through other means. So uh, like omni-channel, basically. Yes. So I think what, what you just said is having this hybrid kind of definitely including uh, WhatsApp, including, you know, this kind of personal touch with, the, with VIP customers and uh, personal approach for sure. And what about, uh, we, we always ask this question, I've been asking this question since the COVID, small businesses like yours, especially when I have a founder with me, like today, um, you worked from home like all of us for a while. Yes. Um, you probably now have a hybrid strategy of sorts. Where do you see very hard, I mean, assuming COVID is with us for a little while, how, are, how, how have your work habits changed and your teams? As a culture, we've always been advocate of um, flexibility. And, you know, encouraging the team to, to feel comfortable to do what is suitable best or what is best for them. So even from before COVID, we've, we've had like a couple of days a month where the team can work from home. Uh, okay. Thursdays, uh, they can leave early if they're done with what they're doing. So they have this flexibility of managing their own time. I think when COVID hit, first of all, it was super easy for us to, to migrate and switch work, to work from home because it's our communications. Everything we do is via literally emails, phone calls and instead of physical meetings we're doing like zoom meetings so with clients being abroad anyway we're used to that so that was a very easy transition for us uh where it affected us i think is just not having the team together all together really wasn't you can do this for a month or two but on the long run i feel like having the team together definitely plays a big role and support and feeling this kind of energy collaboration collaboration energy the junior people learning from the senior ones exactly exactly so We've, uh, for the past few months, we've kept the flexibility, but I see more and more people coming to the office because they just enjoy being there and working together. So, yeah, we're excited. I think especially we're very blessed to be in Dubai and the situation is very much under control. So we are in a, in a good position for things to be kind of changing to the more flexible and positive. And I'm planning to keep that flexibility. That was my question. Yeah. Um, so definitely I would love to have the team back, but at the same time, I'd like to keep that flexibility and timing and agree on certain days where they can, you know, just work from home. And uh, I think that keeps everyone happy. And what's your preferred routine for you? What what were you doing to the spirit? I mean, do you wake up, make a cup of coffee, then take your Zoom calls? What, how do you work best? Sure. So for me, it's training in the morning. I wake up, have okay. my cup of coffee, but I need to start with my training in the morning. Okay. I do have a much better energy in the morning than I have at 5 p.m. So sure. that's something I figured out throughout the years. <laughs> um, I, do, um, I do enjoy the fact that I was able to focus on work and focus on uh, kind of the meetings that we had on Zoom l- rather than wasting so much time just going from one meeting to the other. And I think that's something everyone should kind of consider. Obviously, we need to do one-on-ones as well, but that's probably maybe more lunches or kind of social activities. And uh, But that's something definitely would be great to keep for the future and to have a nice balance between both. Um, I do tend to encourage life and work, work balance. balance. Um 
I found it a little bit more challenging during COVID there, especially <laughs> at the beginning. I think I was working, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, 12, 12 hours yeah. and it was uh, quite ex uh, exhausting. Um, but then things, you know, kind of um, off. balanced off. Um, and now, yes, we're very excited to, to start a new chapter from September. We're moving to our new offices in uh, D3. Thank you. With Dubai opening up and I think more more tourism opening up, I think things will start changing. And I feel this market will be probably pick up before other Others. markets. Yeah. Do you focus exclusively on Dubai or is it the region or how do you... So the office is based in Dubai, but our um, our experience is the regional experience. Okay. We do have event, we've done events in Kuwait. We've handled campaigns in Saudi and events there as well. Um, our experience is region, but as you know, Dubai is the hub, sure. and uh, Saudi as well is, is another hub that we focus on. Let me uh, transition a bit to the running a business because I'm fascinated by that. So you started your own business. You're now 12, 13 years, is it now? 13 years, amazing. yeah. I think now 14, September. 14, yeah. amazing. <laughs> 14 years of running a business. Give us a glimpse of what was, and it can be at any time during those 14 years, what were some of the challenges, first of all, and then one of the things that, I mean, I can see from yourself, knowing you also as a friend, a lot of things come easy to you, which is great. And obviously you have a very personal style connecting to people. What were the things that you found hard in running the, the business over the years? What were the challenges? I think at the beginning, the biggest challenge uh, I faced was to find team members who are willing to trust me to join a company they didn't know. So finding talent. Finding talent. And of a small startup, essentially. Exactly. And to date, it has been the biggest challenge to That's find talent. something we hear all the time. Yes. In this market, it's just the talent. The Especially, I think, in certain industries are more difficult than others. But I have to say, we have very high standards in the way we do business. We do require international experience as, as much as possible. We do also require regional knowledge. So, um, so yeah, we, we've kind of, this was uh, the biggest challenge. And we have an amazing team and uh, planning to build more on, on these wonderful people working uh, with us. Uh, but, yeah, that has been kind of the most uh, lengthy Part. Sometimes we used to hire people before even needing new people just to make sure they ha we have talent on board. Um, that was one. Uh, the other challenge I face personally is, you know, when you start a business and, you know, starting like very fresh and young and, you know, without having really guidance, because also I, I own the business by myself. So I didn't sure. have a partner to kind yes. of lean talk on to or lean on. Yeah. yeah. So I had to kind of learn my way and, uh, the, the biggest challenge was to really realize that this is a business and it has its own entity and Zaina is here and it, she has yeah. another, you know, another entity. So that separation happened after many years. And I know many friends of mine who struggle still with struggle with that. And um, so that probably the realization of this made it a bit easier um, for me. But still, it's like uh, it's, it's a work in progress. It's not uh, it's not a, like uh, an easy transition. Um, among the things I've really learned, and as you know, I've started a course uh, at Harvard recently with uh, OPM. And, you know, I went there, you know, I was very curious to see, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I being the right CEO? Am I, uh, do I have the right culture? So, so let's go back to that for a second, because I think that's very interesting. What did you want to get out of that Harvard experience? Was it that you wanted to uh, benchmark, or you felt there were gaps that you wanted to fill, or find peers to... Or all of the above? Sure. So 
the main reason I wanted to start the course was I felt the company was growing and I needed to be well equipped for the second stage of growth for the company. And if you read the explanation of the course, it's exactly that. It's helping leaders take the company to the next level. And did it meet your objectives? It did meet my expect- expectation, my objectives uh, greatly. I still have one unit to go. Um, but beside that, I went there with no expectation. I didn't know really what to expect. I knew that it's it's one of the best you know experience to have. We had experience on, on campus. I didn't know how many people. It was like old kind of, you know, I didn't have someone, I didn't actually dig too much. I just, uh, just the decision was there, you know. And when I went and I met around 170 people who were on the course on campus, and that was, I think that was the best part beside the knowledge and the educational side is that having this network of friends and connections all around the world and being able to share experiences on neutral ground. So that was a very, very important part of the learning experience. Uh, is having this network and being able to share. Because at the best of times, being a, a founder or a CEO is very lonely, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and the best of times, let alone during COVID, which I think was double as lonely. I mean, you know, I mean, you probably know this. I mean, you know, with a lot of companies, especially technology companies nowadays, when they go to these VCs and others, they actually always tell you uh, they have a strong preference for co-founders and so you, you, I want to say that you went against all odds because not because they don't believe in single founders. It's because it's so hard. You, it seems that you found other ways to reach out and find the network that supports you. Exactly. And then you have beautiful people as well in my life who reached out like you during COVID. <laughs> it's like, Zaina, do you need any help? What can I, how can I support? Let's look at numbers. Let's look at this. And that's for that as well. I'm very Thank blessed you. to have amazing uh, friends in my life. But for sure, the fact that I was able to expand this network and with people who are like-minded, um, it was something very precious. Well, I think, I mean, thank you for saying that. I mean, my experience comes exactly like yours. It's because I'm well aware of, of having started uh, a business by myself, how difficult it can be. And I'm very appreciative of, of others talking to me. And I realize that then the problems that feel sometimes very much yours are shared. I mean, many others feeling the same thing. And it's weird. I don't know if you had the same experience. At least it happens to me. You sometimes even have a sense of shame. I mean, you almost think like, I have this problem, why can't I fix it? And you don't want to talk about it as if you have, you know, it's something that's shameful. And then you sit in a room with others that have maybe similar, and you're like, oh my God, they, they actually face the same. And that I think becomes liberating. And it's, at least for me, I can speak about myself. It wasn't easy for me to move from that step A to B, kind of letting go or sharing that, you know what, I actually need help or support or guidance and realizing that others had maybe the same a situation or at least something similar that we can talk to and you start building a community yes and the trust is very important obviously and these kind of there are many like forums and ypos and ah. you know same thing with the, with the with the course so we had a living group which we were like eight to nine and we work on that trust and connecting with each other knowing each other's stories and you become really close by the end of the three weeks and um i think that was also like another level of the experience and every year you meet you get closer to different people and you kind of build that trust together you have been a supporter of of also other women around you that are creative that are in business uh if if a young um zena would come to you today who wants to start a business uh similar to what happened to you what would be the advice I would say get experience first. Okay. Um, really see what motivates you. You wouldn't know it all together from the beginning, but you'll figure it out uh, uh, on as the way as you go along. Um, trust your gut. 
because at the end of the day, uh, this was one of the things as well we we kind of discussed uh, during the course, and it's like they talk about how to make decent profit decently. That's something very important for, for the community. And they talk about how CEOs and how entrepreneurs really do it. And following the gut is a very, very important. And that's what basically differentiates people from each other. But that's something definitely like learn to connect with yourself, learn how to listen to your gut and just go for it. If it feels right, just go for it. What would you have wanted to know 13 or 14 years ago that you know now when you started? Obviously, hindsight 2020, but I'm just curious. Is there one thing that you feel, God, if I knew this 14 years ago, you know, would have been like, <laughs> or is it just a journey that one has to go through and, you know, uh, and that's part of life? I feel it's a journey mm. and what you keep discovering, it never stops. It's just the fact that you should be open and believe in the process. Um, there are ups and downs and it's part of life. There are people who would sure. come, there are people who would go. Um, and you as a person, you evolve. So when you evolve on a you know personal level, also changes happen in the company. So it's, it's never really separated. And that's by itself is a very interesting journey. I've had times where it was extremely difficult and you would think like, how would I do this? But there's always something that comes and inspiration or anything that you do that would lead the way. So it's just having this trust um, and follow this inner voice in there. And, you know, one of the things that I talk to uh, sometimes on this podcast, because I think it's very important and something I didn't have when I was younger. I started in finance and I started in the States um, and I didn't have mentors. And that's if, if you would have asked me the question of what would you have liked at the time? And there were others in a similar field, maybe because they were American, maybe because I was an Arab and there weren't many in the field at the time. I, uh, I kind of didn't have any mentors for a while. And in a way, it helped me. I had to figure, out, figure it out on my own. But how do you feel about this issue of mentorship? And do you feel that's something that should be informal or there should be kind of, let's talk, for example, about you know, Arab women in business. I mean, you know, should be more like formal, formal mentorship uh, communities, if you want. I think that's a very important point that you're raising. And there are two things. It's definitely having a mentor, but also having the right consultants. We mm. can't know everything. Correct. And as you said, if you're running your own business, one or two people, you probably have lots of things covered, lots of things covered. But if you're a small company, you're not going to have a financial advisor. You're not going to have an HR. Accounting, uh, legal. And a lawyer and all of these people. You won't. And sometimes you're facing the situation you think that are too difficult to face because you don't know. So to have this kind of basic information, definitely have the right consultants on board. And that's what would make you a great leader. At the same time, you need that kind of mentorship or maybe an executive coach, depending how people want to uh, call it. But I believe in a mentorship program. I believe in women supporting women. I believe in, and I'm not a feminist. I mean, also guys can be supported <laughs> and we can get. Thank you. But, but in general, it would be great to, yeah. to, to have, you know, to encourage each other um, to do more and to really excel and to get that a push to start something on our own and have somebody. And I know many of uh, business, many big companies are, have had such, such um, initiatives, basically, where they support women, they provide executives from their side to help women who are doing startups or try, starting a new business. And that's something I'm, I'm personally uh, very keen on being part of as well more. Thank you once again for joining us on the Lighthouse Conversations. This episode was hosted by me, Hasha Montasser, and produced by Chirag Desai. You can connect with us on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore AE or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. 
It really helps other people discover the show. We'll see you in two weeks.